Hello and welcome to Two Peds in a Pod, the paediatric medical education podcast. Remember, you can hear our entire back catalogue of episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and of course our SoundCloud. So please tell your colleagues and friends and hit that subscribe button. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to Two People in a Pod, the Paediatric Medical Education Podcast. Uh, I'm your host as always, Ian Lewins, and today is Wednesday the 20th of January 2021. Um, And of course, we're talking ahead of the inauguration of Joe Biden, who is currently the second most important president-elect, because we're delighted today to have the first most important president-elect globally. Uh, and that's Dr. Camilla Kingdon. Uh, good morning. How are you, Dr. Kingdon? Um, I'm very well, thank you. Um, and that's a very nice introduction. Um, I think I think the world will be focused, I hope, on Joe Biden today, because uh, clearly that's an unbelievably important um, event for us all. But um, thank you for that very nice introduction. Well, absolutely. Um, and Dr. Kingdon is a neonatologist uh, based in London um, and, of course, the RCPCH um, president-elect. And, and we're very pleased for you to come on the show. Um, so let's get straight into it. Why did you apply? Why did you want to become president of the college? Well, I think um, there were two main reasons. I guess one reason um, I, is I guess a selfish reason. Um, I I really love um, the kind of work that um, over my career I've been developing. Uh, you know, originally getting out and about in South London and meeting pediatricians there when I was a regional advisor, and then I became a training program director and I was um, then head of school for paediatrics in London and just you know getting off the neonatal unit and meeting. Uh, all sorts of different pediatricians of different ages, of different subspecialties, different thinking. Um, I find that extremely inspiring. Um, and personally, um, I find I grow and develop and I have my mind opened to new ideas. That's quite intoxicating. And and then when I became vice president at the College uh, for Education and Professional Development, I realized, of course, that gave me an opportunity to meet pediatricians across the country and even internationally. And I just thoroughly enjoy that and find um, it interesting, intellectually stimulating. So for lots of kind of personal and selfish reasons, um, I wanted more, I guess. Um, but then more broadly, I... I think Russell Viner has been an absolutely brilliant president. And particularly during COVID, I think his leadership has been outstanding. And and in and it's played to his skills around his academic interest in in um, child health uh, uh, outcomes and, and the broader advocacy piece because it's been so important during COVID. But when I take over in May. I'm hoping, I think we're all praying that we'll be moving into a post-COVID uh, era. And and I, what I am really interested and challenged um, by is around um, that, that post-COVID world, what we do with the workforce and what we do in thinking about children in that um, uh, uh, time. And and I, I feel very, really excited um, about the opportunities that that presents. And so the timing for me in standing for president uh, seemed perfect. So um, that was a kind of second reason which really drove me 
to stand in the election and um uh, one makes oneself very vulnerable when one stands for these kind of roles. And I had no idea whether my ideas would float. Um, but obviously, I'm absolutely delighted um, to have this role and very honoured. Absolutely. Uh, and um, so you, you say sort of take over in May. Um, and when you're sort of applying for this, did you have a really clear idea of exactly what the job's going to evolve or or does the job itself sort of evolve over time do you think I think I mean obviously I've had the opportunity to watch Russell um do it because I in fact I started as vice president at exactly the same time that he became president so I've got some idea about the kind of day-to-day responsibilities and and um and so on but I think looking back over our previous presidents each one has been very different and i and i know that each one has tackled the role in a, in in their own specific kind of way so i i have no doubt that i'll um do things differently to russell um you know there's there's a lot of mainstream work that just needs to be done by the president that you know responsibilities in terms of the academy and medical royal colleges responsibilities to our membership uh you know our for instance, uh, membership ceremonies and the conferences and so on. So there, there, there are the nuts and bolts of being president. But then, in addition, um, one has an opportunity to drive one's own agenda, which hopefully is what one's described in one's manifesto. And so you're not just doing it because you think it's a good idea. You're doing it because you believe that the membership want this work done. And so, by definition, each president slightly uh, changes the course of the, the college uh, and hopefully in a positive developmental way. So, you know, there will be opportunities for me to do things differently to Russell, um, but very much continue with a lot of the work that he, um, he's been doing. And in fact, the, the broader college community has been doing. Because mm. uh, I, I guess there, there is sort of a, a sort of split between, you know, the, the engaging with all the paediatricians, but also... As, as Russell has demonstrated, increasingly actually being a face, being a voice for advocating for children. And, and uh, you know, the, it's interesting to see the RCPCH Twitter account particularly has been very vocal and prominent recently, uh, things like supporting, uh, you know, children through the food poverty and issues like that. Yes, and I think... Um it feels like we've we've shifted, doesn't it? In the last certainly the last eighteen months, I would say, um, we've now. I think what a lot of members don't realise is that we've got one hundred and sixty whole time equivalent members of staff at the college, and and in fact, this is another reason why I'm so delighted to have this role because um, the, the staff at the college are phenomenal, um, and you're working with people who are. Um, highly driven, motivated, highly intelligent. Um, and so a lot of the the, the background work um, that, that you know, for instance, as you've described, we're now seeing in terms of the advocacy piece, the work we um, did around free school meals, et cetera, et cetera. Actually, the ideas might come from the president and the senior team and, and other members, but the work, the, the, the what makes that happen is invariably done by the college staff. And we have some really, you know, our chief executive, Joe Revel, who started at the same time as Russell, um, has a great vision for this. 
uh, we have some really sensational uh, members of staff who kind of work in the background and make these things happen um, and are linked in with NHS England, um, NHS Improvement, a lot of the um, charities, for instance, the other royal colleges. And so we, we've become a very networked um, and engaged um, college, I think, in a way that we haven't been before. And I think I think it's terrific. And, the, and my sense from the membership is, is that that's what they want to see. They they want RCPCH to be um, punching above their weight, our weight. Um, you know, shouting out for children, shouting out for the um, children's workforce. Um, and we we need to keep keep doing that um, because we won't be heard if we don't make you know increasingly make a meaningful noise. And we, we need, but but that needs to be backed up by data. It's not just about people squealing that children aren't getting a fair deal we've got to be doing it in a thoughtful planned um evidence-based way yeah and i think i would i would echo that i think it's it's been incredibly positive to see the college be so quickly responsive and vocal uh, about speaking up for children because you know as well as speaking up for pediatricians actually children can get lost in all of this and and the college being a voice for them, I think, is incredibly important to many paediatricians. Yes, I, I, I completely agree um, agree with you. And, you know, um, the other day, for instance, um, we, were, um, we have this fantastic experts um, group that are supporting us through COVID. And, you know, we've got amazing people like Professor Andrew Pollard um, from the Oxford Vaccine Group and Professor Adam Finn, who's on the JCVI and, and, and a whole host of other people. And actually, Andy Pollard said to us the other day, um, when we were talking about the vaccine rollout, was, you know, what are we going to do to make sure um, that, that the lessons we learn from COVID allow us to improve child health globally? And I, that kind of thing really challenges me um, because I do think we've clearly got a responsibility nationally, but we're in such a privileged position in this country. And, and um, so actually we have a responsibility beyond the UK. Um, and I know our members, for instance, are very engaged in international child health and interested in, in kind of global child health work. You know, our Global Links program is is um, highly regarded, and many of our members have taken, you know, spent time working it, within it. So I think um, the responsibility for child health um, is is enormous. Our role in that, I think, is more visible than it's ever been before. Uh, and and I'm very excited by the challenges that gives us. But but there's a lot of work for us to do as well. Mm. And speaking of work. Do- when you become the president, do, is it a full-time job or do, do you still continue in your role as a neonatologist? So um, virtually all Royal College positions, and that's not just at RCPCH, uh, don't, they're not funded roles. Um, so it's not like you take on a paid job at the Royal College. I think some of the um, – a couple of roles of the Royal College of Physicians, for instance, come with a bit of money, and I, I imagine the Royal College of Surgeons too, but certainly at RCPCH – you know, we're a charity, so there, there isn't any money. So one um, essentially, as president, uh, negotiates with one's trust to be given some time to do the job. So I, I will carry on um, as a neonatologist, um, but my trust have been very, um, you know, been fantastic about um, talking to me about my job plan. And so I'll be given some protected time to do the, the president role. Uh, you know, of course, one takes on when one takes on a role like this, like 
well, like I guess, you know, you you you've got roles as well. You you know you you anticipate doing these things in ones in your in your evenings and weekends, um, but clearly uh, you know a big leadership role can't just be squeezed into evenings and weekends. So so um, I will be reducing my clinical commitment um, and and picking up um, it, to free up some more time to do this um, for the next three years. So you you come into post in May. Um, in your mind at the moment, what do you perceive uh, sort of your top priorities going forward? Um, so I think, um, as, as I mentioned earlier, the um, let, uh, we, I'm optimistic that we'll be moving to a, a kind of post-COVID world. Now, clearly, COVID has shone um, a light on um, issues in society and around um Healthcare um, in a in a in a way that um, uh, gives us a real opportunity to think differently about um, what um, we need to be doing. So I think, as with the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health, we we have a dual responsibility. We have a responsibility to pediatricians, um, and then there's our responsibility to children and, and child health. And and I think uh, we have a real opportunity to. Um, Think about the principles of social justice and social uh, equality and inequalities um, in a way that, um, in a, in a clearer way um, than perhaps we've ever been able to do before. You know, the data the, um, that's coming out as a result of COVID, both from the infection itself and its um, differential impact on um, different groups, but also the non-COVID consequences. Really interesting, um, some of the data around the impact of um, COVID on children's education and how that's mirror, uh, mirrored, but, um, or, or rather the differential um, impact in terms of um, uh, uh, social deprivation. So I think um, we, we're going to have to use this opportunity to really focus um, on where we think we can um, offer our greatest um, uh, impact um, and and regroup and think about particularly how we can become a society that puts children first. Because I think listening to pediatricians talking in the last months, there's been a real sense that of course COVID has directly impacted on the on older members of society, and of course the NHS has um, galvanised its forces very much to focus medically on 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 um, adults, uh, but. We all know that children have been um, massively uh, indirectly impacted, um, and so it's about. I think it's about start reinvigorating uh, that conversation that says, where do children belong in society, and how can we make sure that um, we uh, help people start thinking more clearly about prioritizing children? Um, when I look at you know, I've got two daughters, they're both at university, just what this last year has meant for them um, in terms of their uh, learning, in terms of their ability to socialise, exercise. And we've seen that across um, all, all children. So I think we've, we've got a real opportunity that we can't afford to miss. Um, I think a lot of people are really vexed about um, uh, children's education. So let's not miss that opportunity to uh, engage in the broader piece around social inequalities uh, um, uh, and all the other challenges around child health. So I think there's the child health agenda. And then, of course, there is the um, 
the, the pediatricians, our members, looking specifically um, at our workforce. Obviously, we're very interested at the college around um, doctors, but if, but um, by definition, we need to think multi-professionally here too. Uh, we need to think about what's going on um, in terms of the equality, diversity and inclusion agenda. At the college, we're doing a lot of work already on this piece. Um, but I think COVID has has heightened awareness um, uh, in the equality and diversity um, area like like nothing in recent memory. And, and so I know there's a real... Um, drive amongst our members to look really critically at what the college is doing around inclusion, um, what we can do better, how we can focus on um, not just the working lives of paediatricians, but the equality um, aspect of um, health outcomes in children. So there's a really exciting agenda that we need to really move up a gear in terms of equality and diversity. Um, I think uh, the work we're doing around um, retention in paediatrics, again, is going to be absolutely crucial. We need to understand really critically what it is that means that trainees either consider or do leave paediatrics. But I'm also really um, interested to understand this increasing problem that we've got in middle careers of, of consultants and SAS doctors. I speak to so many um, colleagues who maybe have done eight or 10 years post-CCT or eight to 10 years in, in SAS posts. They're exhausted, burnt out. They're challenged by rotor gaps. They're really nervous thinking that they've still got 15, 20 years of their career ahead of them. How are they going to do it? How are they going to sort of juggle home life and work life? So really understanding what the issues are for, for pediatricians in terms of the whole um, life course of a, of a pediatrician. So we've we've now got an officer for lifelong careers, and actually got some charity money to to look at this in a very rigorous way, with some academics supporting us to do this work. And so I'm really excited about that, and and really want to see that move move up a pace uh, uh, in this you know in the next sort of twelve to eighteen months. So I think um, we've we've got a lot of priorities. We we can't do it all. Um, I can't do it on my own. Um, and I think in a way that's the exciting bit because I know for a fact that there are many of the solutions to our problems um, are out there amongst pediatricians. Um, but if we can just enable people to get involved, have their thoughts and ideas shared and heard, um, we can do this together. And the, the new world in which we work where we can meet virtually I think it's going to allow a lot of people who didn't feel they had a voice um, in the world of paediatrics, maybe because they live in Scotland or because they live um, or they've got a young family that they just don't feel they can be getting on a train and coming to London for meetings. I think this new virtual world, while it's not, I wouldn't like to see a world that was entirely virtual because I'm longing for get together with people uh, properly. Uh, but I think the virtual world gives us a whole range of opportunities for um, involvement in college work that we just didn't have even 12 months ago. Um, so I, I think we, we've got some exciting times ahead. And I, I really want to hear from people who've got ideas. So for instance, the, I'm really interested in international medical graduates. 
And I was mulling this over recently and thinking, you know, what more can we do to support them in terms of their introduction into working in the NHS? And I suddenly got an email from a, a, a trainee that I know who said, was I aware of a group called Soft Landings? And I said, I'm afraid I have, I don't know anything about Soft Landings. It turns out Soft Landings is a group of international medical graduates who are pediatricians who've got together and um, are creating a virtual group to support uh, colleagues who, who come from abroad in, in their introduction to the NHS and some of the challenges that international medical graduates have working and living in the UK. And I, so suddenly we've got a group that actually, I don't need to come up with solutions. There's a group out there so keen, so energized, um, dying for the opportunity. So actually it's just going to be about facilitating that and helping them um, you know, link up with relevant people and 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 they will, I'm sure, do some magical things. So th- that little scenario is played out in all sorts of different um, aspects of our working lives. And, and, and so I think we just, it's about facilitating those conversations and about really encouraging people to get stuck in. I think, I think it's, I feel very excited by the opportunities that lie ahead. Yeah, and I think that you—that's you, a really valid point, isn't it? That that actually, there the, there is an awful lot of really good stuff going on that sometimes we're just not aware of, and and potentially the the environment in which we're in, where m- many people are communicating virtually and not having to sort of make trips down to London, um, actually potentially facilitates that. So so as, as you say, exciting times ahead potentially. Mm. Yes. On that London point. Let me be slightly provocative and say, as somebody who occasionally goes to London to, to, to the, or used to go to occasionally to London to the college, um, you are another London-based president. Um, and I remember a few years back that the, the college asked for feedback from members and, and produced a, one of these word clouds. And one of the the, the words that, that popped up as a negative thing was London-centric. Does the college have a bit of a London problem, do you think? Um, yeah, I suppose the honest answer is I can understand where that perception comes from. Uh, you know, we've got a building in, in Hoban and, and it is the, the base of the college. But I can, even before COVID, I can, I can honestly say there, there has been an increasingly... Um, uh, an increasing focus on how we can get out of London and, and frankly, dispel this myth that this is a London-based college and that all our activities um, are in London. And of course, now um, with COVID and, and the, the the opportunities to work um, virtually, that re- that myth really can be dispelled, and and I'm completely confident um, it will be. So we have, and, and actually this strangely enough, aligns with um, our climate change awareness that we're doing at the moment. So the idea that people are getting on trains and planes and coming to London for meetings um, actually just doesn't chime well with all sorts of agendas, including now the climate change agenda. So we have a real commitment to um, having the majority of our future meetings virtually, um, but some still um, within an office. Um, and, and, and I think to be practical, because we own a building in Hoban, um, some of those face-to-face meetings, I guess the majority of those face-to-face meetings will be in London. But, the, but, but they will be fewer than the virtual meetings. And, 
and and that's a genuine commitment um, for us going going forward once we move out of lockdown. So I just I just don't think you're going to see the college in quite the same way as it was, um, you know, even a year ago. And and I'm thrilled about that because I think it's going to open up opportunities for younger paediatricians to get involved, geographically um, remote paediatricians to get involved. Um, uh, people who felt that you sort of had to be an activist to get involved with the college. Um, I, I don't. We we don't want people to feel they've got to be sort of brave and loud and 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 lippy um, to make their point heard at the college. By by getting out there and encouraging people with great ideas, to just join a virtual meeting. Occasionally come to London, but you know, really genuinely, occasionally, um, we'll be getting out a lot more once we can move around more. Um, I, I'm really hoping we're going to just tap into um, the breadth and depth of um, paediatric resource that is out there that we we haven't previously optimised and made the most of. So um, now I don't think that's going to happen overnight because I think that mindset about London being the focus isn't going to just disappear. And I've been, for instance, very interested, um, we've got two vice president roles now being advertised and people have been saying so how are you going to make sure that we have a more diverse um, group standing for those roles and so actually part of this is about people like me getting on the phone and actually calling up people and saying have you thought about standing and I've been doing that a bit of that in the last sort of six weeks and the conversation's fascinating so you say hi um you know, bit of a preamble, and then I'm phoning because I wondered whether you'd like to consider standing for one of the two vice president roles. And the the absolute classic response is always, "What me? Um, I couldn't do a job like that." And then, and you know, and I'm talking to somebody who is phenomenal, is a mover and shaker. I know that they've done loads of things um, in their sort of field of interest and locally or even regionally. Um, and then you start a conversation and. Um, it's fabulous uh, because we have got uh, skills, knowledge, um, experience out there um, that is really going to shape the, the college going forward. But it, but I think we do need to make an, a concerted effort to engage with those people and, and help them understand that they really, really do have a role to play at the college. Excellent. That's really great to hear and really reassuring to hear. Um Whilst I've got you, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question that's that's for me that that, that bothers me as sort of one of my main priorities as a, as a paediatrician and and also with my hat on as a, as a foundation training program director. One of my biggest worries is recruitment into paediatrics and that the competition ratios are very poor for paediatrics and and we seem to have struggled to recruit people into paediatrics even though you know lots of people go I loved it as a you know, foundation job, but I'm not sure I'd want to do it full time. Um, what are your thoughts on trying to improve our, our recruitment into paediatrics? So you're absolutely right. I think we've got a, a huge challenge here. I don't think you can um, uncouple recruitment from retention because I think young doctors and medical students, you know, they're very savvy. And if they look at a group of registrars and consultants in a specialty and they see people who are exhausted demoralized overworked um you know why would you pick that specialty 
that we, medicine is so amazing and there's so many fantastic specialties out there. You know, why would you, you commit yourself to a specialty that, that, that pos- can look very unattractive? So I think we can't possibly tackle the recruitment piece on its own without having a critical look at us and how we work and how, um, and what our, the quality of our working lives are. And, and, and that's a very complex um, area. And the college hasn't got, um, is not going to be able to change every aspect of the working lives of pediatricians because, of course, it's hard to be a doctor at the moment um, in the NHS, you know, for, for whatever specialty you're in. And we've got very limited resources, so we can't just create a whole lot of extra posts and sort out our, our staff rotors um, easily. But I do think there are things we can do to improve the working lives of pediatricians. And and so that might be, so that plays into our, our retention work and understanding what it is that is um, making people feel exhausted and burnt out or less enamored with pediatrics perhaps than they were when they first started. It might be that we um, develop some guidance around job planning, for instance, so that consultants particularly are not working really punishing out-of-hours rotors all the way through until the moment they retire. We know that some quite a, um, a, a number of senior pediatricians will feel forced into retirement earlier than they would have ideally wanted because they simply cannot stop doing the out-of-hours work. So you know, how can we start a conversation about enabling our more senior colleagues to step away from unsocial hours and, and give more time in, a, in daylight hours where we can maximise, you know, th- their opportunities to teach and lead and, and, and share knowledge. So I think there's um, a huge amount of work we need to do focusing on 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 the careers of paediatricians, which w- will then hopefully role model what a terrific specialty um, that this is. Um, and... Uh, so I think it's a complicated recruitment is a complicated topic, um, and we need to have a, a, a number of ways of tackling it. Clearly, we need to look at the undergraduate curriculum and and see what we're doing there, and you know, are we doing enough to um, optimize the opportunity for medical students to uh, come and experience um, child health to try and you know uh, enthuse them at that stage? Uh, are there more opportunities within the foundation program? for people to have experience. I'm really worried about the last year and this year and the fact that so many people have been deployed out of pediatrics. GP trainees have not done their child health blocks. Foundation doctors have often been deployed out. Medical students have had their clinical training significantly um, diluted. So we've got a real challenge right at the moment. So, yeah, this is a, this is a, you raise a, a really core topic for us. Um, but we need people like you with ideas and your observations um, to kind of join us in thinking about this and, and working out, you know, what are our uh, for, you know early priorities and then going forward, you know, what are our next challenges um, and, and how are we going to tackle it? But, but it's, um, I think it's an absolute priority for our specialty. Absolutely. Um, so thank you so much for joining us um i, I appreciate the, the time that you've given us because you must be incredibly busy at the moment um congratulations 
and uh, really look forward to you starting in May. There is just one final question, which is the one question that I'm sure virtually all paediatricians want to know from their president. Is there a secret RCPCH wine cellar that you suddenly get the keys to in May? Do you know, as a South African, um, and, and, and I come from Cape Town, um, and so wine is uh, <laughs> has a very special place in my heart. I wish that was true, um, but uh, sadly, um, Russell hasn't um, let slip um, where the keys to the wine cellar are. Um, so I'm I'm ashamed to say that I'm, I think I'm going to have to carry on um, sourcing wine from my relatives in South Africa because I don't think there's going to be anything buried in the cellars at um, Theobald's Road, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, disappointing. Um, but th- so, Dr. Camilla Kingdon, thank you so much for your time and all the very best from us going forward. Thank you very much. Um, lovely to um, talk to you today. Thanks for taking the time to download our podcast this week. If you enjoy our podcasts, please tell your friends and colleagues and subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. Amazon Music, and of course, our SoundCloud. Thanks for listening.